All right, well, get your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to conclude a series of messages that we've been um, teaching and, and kind of talking about over the last few weeks. Um, and that is this idea of make war. We did a series called Make War. And we're talking about the reality of spiritual warfare. And, and sometimes when I start this, because the day in which I, I live, the day in which we live, we have believers who don't believe in, in kind of the spiritual realm. We have uh, Bible school students who don't believe in literal hell, and they're studying, I guess, the same Bible that you and I still have. And, or maybe there's a new version out, I, I don't know. Um, but Jesus thought there was a hell, and I, if we say we follow him and he is God in the flesh, then it'd be weird to tell Jesus there's no hell since he thinks there is one. Um, and, you know, Jesus thought there were demons because he cast them out a lot of times. It'd kind of be weird to tell Jesus, oh, you got that wrong. Um, and so uh, there's so much in the Bible that, that about this spiritual realm. And you need to understand, I think, because uh, when Adam and Eve fell, Adam and Eve were, were a blend of physical and spiritual uh, in that they could see things that you and I couldn't. For instance, they could see fruit on a tree called life. They could see this fruit called life. They could take, say another one, they could take life off a tree and eat it. They could take knowledge off of a tree and eat it. I don't know if you have a life tree or a knowledge tree growing in your garden, um, but, but they had some kind of way of seeing things. I, I think they communicated with animals. I know you think you communicate with your dog and you probably do. Um, but they, I mean, when the serpent came up and said, Hey, what's up? They were, um, they weren't weirded out by that. I don't know about you, but, uh, the only good snake I've ever found is a dead one. And so, um, <laughs> and so if a snake started talking to me, I wouldn't be like, Hey, that's so cool, man. Let's just hang out together. No, I would be like demon, you know, and I'd shoot it. So anyways, um, so, and so, but when they fell, they were separated. Um, they, they were blinded spiritually. And that's why Jesus talks about spiritual sight to his disciples. And so unfortunately we come into this world blind and unknowing of all the spiritual things. And we think this world is all that there is. And this world is just a blip on the, the radar of eternity um, because you are actually a spiritual being and you're an eternal being, according to the Bible. And that's where hell and heaven come in. You can be eternally separated from God, that's hell, or you can be eternally united with God, that's heaven. But you're going you're gonna to be eternal somewhere, right? And, and, and so we're actually more spiritual than we are physical. And the spiritual world is actually more real than the physical world. And to that end, Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus from a Roman prison. And he's like, hey, guys, I need to tell you some things. And I think he's building this foundation of spiritual warfare. And so chapter one is all about, hey, here's your possessions. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And chapter two, we're seated with Christ. And uh, chapter three, here's the power that he wants us to know. Chapter four, these are, these are responsibilities the church has. Chapter five um, gets down to the walk. We walk as children of the light. And then chapter six, he says, finally, finally gets to this place. Finally, guys. I, we've laid this foundation so that, the, that you're ready for the warfare that you're going to encounter as a believer, as the church. And so we've been talking about these things, and, and I hope if you miss any part of this series um, that you'll go back and get it off podcast or off the webpage. We make it all available for you. It's free. It's there. Um, but they're good resources. And I put about six weeks of content into three weeks, so all the messages are way long. Uh, <laughs> but that's just me condensing things, kind of. Anyways, um, 
But, and also I'll say this, um, we do another uh, podcast, if you're not aware of it, we do a podcast called God, God Life and Pathway. Um, we took a, a short break. We're back now doing podcasts. Those are available online or iTunes. And the reason I tell you that is there's information in that that I don't get to tell you. So like this one we just did has information about the building that I'm not going to take time to tell you, has information about someone we just hired. But even after all of that, it has, I did a little bit of content that I couldn't get any, into any of the messages and so the content is winning against spiritual attack. And so if you were so inclined, you could go there. And the podcast is about helping you win at work, at home, and in your church. That's the whole context, God, Life, and Pathway. And so if you were so inclined that you wanted to win and you like extra resources, that's there. But we have to understand we're in spiritual attack. So we've been talking about this. I don't have time to recap everything. But today, um, I want to go back to Ephesians, and I'm going to read 10 through 18. And so every message kind of builds on the other message. So we're going to start um, at verse 10, and it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or strategies of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now that doesn't, Paul's not saying we do not wrestle. He's actually saying we're wrestling, but he's trying to help us um, better understand who we're wrestling against. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So that's the spiritual realm. Uh, verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God uh, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And so then verse 14, he starts what we, talk, we call the armor of God. It says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, I wanted you to have the whole context. We've talked about all this, but verse 18 is where I'm going to focus today. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I really think it's interesting that in this, um, in this idea of spiritual warfare and standing against the enemy, Paul gives this analogy of armor. It's, it's not, it's not, um, it's not, it's not physical armor. It's spiritual in nature. We don't actually have helmets and swords, but he's using Roman armor to give us this analogy. And most people think when the armor stops, it stops you know, right at the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But then Paul continues in verse 18, praying, praying. And I think that prayer is very, it's probably the most important thing when it comes to spiritual warfare and even when it comes to armor, when it comes to winning. And sometimes I think we emphasize this Roman armor and we forget verse 18 because he wasn't finished talking. He said, praying. Right. And so that's what I want to talk about. And, and I called this message. Now I was this way in grade school all the time. I had teachers who constantly had to say, stay in your seat, stay in your seat. I have three children. One of my children, I have to say this, we, we can all be around the table eating. And I'll look up and one of my, one of my children is, is standing up just kind of by the table eating. And I say, Hey, why don't you stay in your seat with the rest of us? Right. 
He gets it from me. It's, I won't tell you which one. If you know my family, you can guess. But, but um, so I was thinking about that, and I'm thinking about what Paul's saying, and I'm thinking about spiritual warfare. So I called this message, Pray in Your Seat. Pray in your seat. Now, you'll have to stick around to the end to figure out what I mean by that, but we'll get there together. We're going to lay some foundation, but pray in your seat. So a couple of things that I want to talk to you that I think Paul pulls out of this text. The first thing is this. Paul tells us when to pray. Paul tells us when to pray. Let's go back and read verse 18 together. It says, uh, because there's a word that appears pretty four times in one verse, right? Four times in one verse, Paul says, pray at all times. With all prayer, with all perseverance, praying for all the saints. I just want to remind you, I've said it before, but um, the Greek word for all means all. (laughs) And so what is Paul saying? Well, first of all, he says, pray at all times. That's every season, every situation, every occasion. Uh, Then he says, Praying with all prayer. That, that word prayer is a little bit different. Um, in the Greek, it's the place of prayer. So he's actually saying make every place a, a place of prayer. So he's saying pray on, in every situation, in every place, with all perseverance. In other words, don't ever stop persistently praying. And then he says pray for all the saints. Pray for everybody. So essentially, when, when asking Paul, Paul, when, when should we pray? Here's what Paul would say. Constantly and persistently pray in every season, in every place for everyone. I feel like Paul felt like if he said that, he was covering all of his bases. Um, Paul also told the church at Thessalonica, Thessalonica, um, you got to be careful. We never want to cuss when trying to say a book of the Bible. Uh, But he said, uh, Thessalonica, he said, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing. Um, To the Philippians, Paul wrote this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, or you could say all things. Be anxious for nothing. How am I going to be anxious for nothing? Well, in all things, pray. In other words, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what's Paul saying? Pray. Can can I tell you um, why I love the verse in Philippians? Because it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything pray. Can I tell you something I've learned personally that might help you? If my anxiety is up, it's because my prayer time is down. So I've learned as a pastor, if all of a sudden I'm attacked by the what ifs of life. Have you ever been attacked by the what ifs? Do you know what what ifs are? It's called worry. Right? What if this doesn't work? What if this doesn't happen? What if that does happen? What if the car breaks down? What if the dryer breaks? What if... What if, what if, what if my kid, what if my kids don't? What if my kids do? What if the boss does? What if my, and when I start feeling anxiety that's above normal, <laughs> then it tells me immediately, I must not be praying enough. Because if I'm anxious, then it's probably because I'm not praying enough. Jesus said it this way, men should always pray and not faint. Can I tell you what Jesus is saying? Same thing Paul was saying. If you're fainting, you're not praying. And if you're praying, you won't be fainting. 
If you feel like you're losing heart, losing courage, discouraged, ready to give up, want to quit, it's, it's, listen, it's not because the devil became meaner. <laughs> it's because you're not praying enough, right? You need to understand when Paul's talking about prayer, he's not saying prayer is supplemental to Christian warfare. He's saying that prayer is the warfare. Prayer is not supplemental. It's not a good thing that Christians do. Prayer is how you win. It's not supplemental to warfare. It is. If prayer is not the warfare, why is it so hard for you to pray? You know, I've heard as a pastor many times people sit down, Pastor, you know, I want to pray, but I get down to pray. I just don't know what to pray. I can't think of what to pray. And then I can't find time to pray. And if I get down to pray, the kids go crazy. The dog starts barking. I've never had someone come into my office and say, Pastor, you know, I just get so much time to pray. It's incredible. I tell you what, when I start praying, the kids calm down and go to their rooms. The dog starts barking. The UPS man won't even come to my door when I'm praying. I go to work and my boss says, hey, have you prayed enough today? And I'm like, well, I have, you know, but I'd like to pray more. Well, just take the day off and pray. <laughs> I've never had those type of testimonies. Why? Because prayer's the warfare. You know, the testimonies, I get, I get down to pray and I can't, I can't calm my mind down. I get down to pray and, and something happens. The phone rings, the doorbell rings, or, uh, you know, I, I set my alarm to pray and then I sleep through my alarm. See, I'm freeing some of you right now because you thought you were the only one who struggled to pray. And I've helped you because you're in a room full of people who are fighting the same fight. We're just trying to get some prayer time somewhere. I, I, listen, I love to pray and I, I love my prayer life. I, I love to pray. I never feel like I pray enough. Now, you need to understand, I pray a lot because it's the only way I can survive. And I've been doing this a long time. So this is not religious pride. But listen, even with me, I never forget... Um, uh, two weeks ago, uh, I like to pray in the mornings. I like to pray before I start my day, but I have a wife and I have children. And so that can present some problems. Right. And, and then, um, and so then sometimes I'll come to the church, but the church, there's always stuff going on at the church and I'll be trying to pray and somebody's got to come in and fix something or clean some carpet or somebody else is working on something. We're decorating for something. We're restocking something. And I remember I had this day where I tried to pray at home and it was too busy. And so I came to the church and then every morning at the church, someone ran me out of my prayer room and I said, God, at least Moses had a freaking mountain. <laughs> Like, where do I go? Because I have ADD. I have to have a dungeon, a quiet place that's dark to pray. I love being outside. Sometimes in the spring and fall, I've been outside and there's a park that I'd try to go to to pray. And I'd sit down on this park bench. It's kind of secluded, but it's kind of behind some stuff. But I'd sit down to pray and no lie, this is me. I'm praying, dear God, thank you for today. And is that a squirrel? <laughs> What's he doing? Look at how he just jumped from that tree to that tree. What kind of bird is that? God, do I know that person over there? There's a guy on a tense. Why is he dressed like he's during the Tour de France? He's on the Borman Trail. Hey, brother, you're on the Borman Trail. You don't need an aerodynamic helmet to ride the Borman Trail. You don't need one of those 
suits that stick to you everywhere, man. That's freaky, man. I got to have a dungeon to pray in. But here I was, I was thinking, man, same thing. If prayer is not the warfare, then why am I struggling to, to pray? I, I told the elders I'm threatening to build a prayer cabin hidden in the woods on the land the church bought where only I know where it is. <laughs> Just because I need quiet places to pray. But if prayer's not the warfare, listen, you have to understand all throughout the Bible, prayer Prayer and praise are always the warfare. Prayer and praise. Um, what Paul's telling us is spiritual victory is the result of persistent prayer. Spiritual victory is the result of persistent prayer. Uh, listen, all throughout the Bible, you think about David. Um, David uh, was so victorious in battle, but do you know what his secret was? Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. He was a worshiper, and I think he would worship his way into God's presence. And then God would reveal a strategy. Like one time he's fighting the, the Philistines in this, in this valley and, and he prays. He goes, he gets along with God and then he comes back and he says, God said that we should go straight up and we'll win. I mean, flip over a chapter or two, they're in the same valley with the same enemy about to fight the same battle. And, and David doesn't assume, well, just because this is how we did it last time, this is how we should do it this time. See, God doesn't work in formulas because he doesn't want you to work without him. And if you could learn the formula, you wouldn't need him. So David goes again. He worships. He prays. He comes back. And he says, guys, God, last time God said, go straight in. This time he says, go around by the mulberry trees and wait until we hear the sound of men marching in the trees. Now, if you're on David's team right there, you're thinking, bro. I don't think men march in trees, bro. And David was said, men don't, but angels do. And when we hear angels in the trees, we're going in, we're going to win. And he won. Um, if, you think about, if you think about praise, think about this. How was Jericho won? Trumpets and shouting. It's worship. It's praise. Trumpets and shouting. How, how did they bring down the walls of Jericho? Trumpets and shouting. Think about Gideon. He won an amazing victory over the Philistines with 300 men. What'd they do? They played trumpets. <laughs> Think about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat had to go against Moab and Ammon, right? These nations, the Moabites, right? Um, had to go against Moab and Ammon. And here's the strategy. Guys, we're going to put the worship team out front. And they're going to say, great is the Lord. His, his mercy endures forever. And they won. I wonder, you know, sometimes, and, and I want to say this softly because I don't want you to feel any condemnation, but I sometimes think we, we forget that the first 25 minutes of our sermon is not musical entertainment while we're waiting on the pastor to come entertain us. It's the first 25 minutes is the warfare for everything that happens after that. Like we weren't thinking, well, you know, we need some space filler because people get here 10, 15, 20 minutes late. So we need to make sure we got some filler in there so that everybody coming late gets in before the pastor starts preaching. What I've many times threatened to do is I'm going to start preaching straight up, straight up service time. We'll do the worship afterwards just to freak people out. 
But, but I think sometimes we miss this, guys. We miss that, that so many times spiritual battles are won in prayer and praise. And so when we put together a service, we, we weren't sitting here thinking, man, we need some space because it takes people to get, yeah, get check their kids in. And, and, you know, I don't know if you know this, the kids workers, they, they're here like 30 minutes before the service starts. They can check your kids in 30 minutes early if you want to. But, but w- sometimes I think we lose the sight of what is that 25 minutes of music about? It's not entertainment. It's, it's not just to have you something. It's not to keep the room dark so you can sneak in. It's, it's not... It's not Here's what that first 25 minutes is. That's the warfare for everything else that happens. That is what sets the atmosphere of the kingdom in this room. And it's what sets the atmosphere of the kingdom in your heart. And I'll promise you, your life will change if you'll come for the whole worship experience. Because the worship prepares your heart for what God wants to do in it. Prayer and praise, that, that's the warfare. So Paul tells us when to pray every time. Every place, for everybody, never stop. And then Paul tells us why to pray. Uh, look at Ephesians 6.18 again. Uh, he tells us why to pray, and I, and I love this. Um, in fact, let's, let's, uh, yeah, let's go to verse 17. Do we have 17? There it is. All right, so, so here's the end of the armor, right? And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times. Do you see there's no period there? Okay, I'm going to tell you something that I think will help you. Here's what Paul's saying. Got to stand against the enemy in the Lord's strength. So put on the whole armor of God. Got to stand the enemy against the Lord's strength, fighting the enemy, principalities, powers. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God. Here's the armor, praying at all times. Here's what Paul's saying. Prayer makes the armor work. Your armor is only as effective as your prayer life. He, he doesn't start a new paragraph. It's not a new sentence. Paul's just, he's, the, whole, the whole chapter is building on the next thing. The whole, the whole book is building on the next thing. And here's what Paul says. You've got to take up the shield and you've got to take up the sword. And he says, praying. Praying at all times. Why? Because when I pray, what are the shoes? It's the, it's the peace I have from the gospel. So the shoes, when I pray, I'm planting my feet in the Lordship of Christ to have peace right? Be anxious for nothing, right? How do I have peace? I pray Jesus is Lord, right? How does the shield work? Prayer is what builds faith. You want more faith? Pray. When you pray for things and it happens, you have more faith. Pray, right? How how does the, the sword of the spirit work? First of all, I didn't get to talk about this last week, but the sword is not this big, long sword. It was a dagger that they wore right here. And this sword was, it could be used in hand-to-hand combat, absolutely. But the sword was actually this dagger, you know, one of the things it was used for? Is when, when I miss an arrow with the shield of faith and it hits me, I use the sword to dig the arrow out. In other words, if, if maybe I'm not praying enough and, and the enemy gets a shot, Right? And now a fiery dart is stuck in my shoulder. I pull out the word of God and I dig out the lie with the truth. And so you need to understand that that prayer is what makes the armor work. And think about this. We talked about last week how um, 
how the, the armor is really Jesus. We put on Jesus, essentially, right? And, and the way we put on Jesus is surrendering to his lordship. And where do we do that? Prayer. Think about it. We, we talked about if, I, if I'm going to wear the armor, I put on the armor through submission or surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Think about the posture of prayer. I kneel and I bow. Why do you think James says, submit to God, resist the enemy, he'll flee, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. It's the same thing we're talking about. Here's what he's saying. The enemy's going to come against you. But the only thing you need to win against the enemy, you don't have to defeat him. He's already defeated. You just have to resist him. How do you resist him? You submit to God. That's why being a believer isn't about acknowledging there is a God or going to church every now and then. Being a believer is abandoning the way you think you should live your life and accepting the truth of God's word about how, you, how he thinks you should live your life. Being a believer means I've abandoned my own ways, my own desires, my own motives, my own wants. Because I believe God's way is better than my way. Are you with me? And, and so that's submission. That's any area of my life that's not submitted to God is exposed to the enemy. And so now I'm submitted to God, but where do I do that? Prayer. Prayer humbles me. It keeps me focused on God. How do we start prayer? Our Father who art in heaven. Right? It keeps me under him. It keeps me... Listen. Listen, the enemy knows pride separates you from God because pride separated him from God. And humility is that surrender and submission of humility is what keeps my armor on. Prayer is what helps me keep that place of humility and surrender. So what is pride? Pride's thinking you can live your life successfully without God because that's what Satan thought. That's what Adam and Eve thought. Are y'all breathing? I just got to check from time to time. Listen, if your neighbor hadn't moved in a while, grab their arm, check their pulse right now. Just make sure they're still with us. Do you hear what I'm saying? That, that prayer is what makes the armor work because it keeps me in a place of surrender and submission. Prayer says, God, I can't go through this day without you. Prayer says, God, my family's not going to win without you. Prayer says, God, my business isn't going to succeed without you. Prayer says, I'm going to bow my knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm going, to bow, I'm going to bend my knee. I'm going to bow my head. I'm going to say, God, without you, we don't win. That's, that's putting the armor on. That's being in Christ. Can I tell you, prayer keeps me focused. It keeps me in that position of surrender, but it does it by keeping me focused on God. And sometimes I think, um, I don't know, I went to church with some people, and they were chasing the devil all the time. Y'all ever been to church with those people? Like, you, you know, because they'd stand up and testify and they'd be, te we used to have testimony service. We had to stop because it was too depressing. <laughs> but they'd stand up and they'd say, brother, I just want to praise the Lord for his goodness. You know, this, this week, Satan, he, he hit my marriage. My husband left. My kids went crazy and the car broke down and I got fired. But I just want to thank the Lord. <laughs> for what? I guess that you survived. Right. And, and sometimes, can I be honest, in spiritual warfare, there's a balance because you need to know how the enemy works. You need to be wise to his schemes, Paul said. But at the same time, um, I think sometimes the enemy, he knows he can win if we get more focused on him than God. And I've heard people say, man, that enemy's really fighting me. Can I tell you something I've learned? 
He fights you every day. It's consistent. He doesn't fight you less some days and more other days. Spiritual warfare is just consistent. Right? And, and we have to be careful because sometimes it's like, man, the enemy's really fighting me and this happened, this happened, this happened. Well, next week, if things are going better, since you blamed the enemy last week, are you going to give thanks to the enemy this week that he's leaving you alone? That's kind of weird. And so we want to make sure that we don't put too much focus on the enemy. Can I, can I tell you something that I realized recently? Um, and the short version is, but a man in our church, he's uh, kind of prophetic, really. And he sent me a text a few months ago. In the last few months, I've felt a lot of warfare. And as a pastor, to be honest, I'm just kind of used to it, but I felt a lot of it. And I thought, Lord, what's, you know, I'm kind of in that place too. So I'm just helping you out of my own experience where I thought, man, does the enemy hate me more now today? Or so, you know, I don't know what's going on. And, and, uh, but I remembered this text, this gentleman sent me a few months ago and it said, uh, the, the attack is increasing because we've laid possession to the North gate of the city. And when, when I got that text, I was in a meeting. I didn't have time to call him or I would have, but, but I was reminded. And here's what I came back to. I realized that things were running pretty smooth and then we bought land. And then I went through four or five months of the worst depression I've ever had in my life. I've never even had depression before. Then we had some people that did some things. We had some leaders that did some things and we had to take care of it. We had to step in and that's always hard, but we can't let people hurt people and um, and it's hard because then we kind of get blamed for it. Like we're evil when all we're trying to do is protect the other sheep. Um, and just a lot of different things happened. And what I realized was this, <laughs> it's not that the enemy's attacking more. It's that we don't have enough air support for the ground we just took. See, we, we laid hold of something he thought was his. And the way you take any city is you control the gate. So our land is really the north gate of the city of Longview. I started reading Ezekiel. Do you know in Ezekiel, all the perversion came through the north gate. And then after Ezekiel prophesied, all the glory of God came through the north gate. So here's what I'm saying, Pathway. We, we have taken possession of something the enemy thought was his, and the gates of hell can't prevail, but we're going to have to increase our prayer. And what God really started showing me is instead of crying because, well, the devil's being so mean, it's kind of his job, <laughs> what I need to do is pray more. And what we need to do as a church is pray more because prayer makes the armor work. Amen? Yeah. All right, here's the last thing. He tells us when to pray, tells us why to pray, but he tells us where to pray. Tells us where to pray. If we look at verse 18, Ephesians 6, 18, it says, praying at all times in the spirit. Do you see that phrase in the spirit? You see that phrase in the spirit? Now, now I want to, I want to help because if, if you're of the Pentecostal genre of religion and you heard in the spirit, you're now ready for what they used to call Jericho march. And that's where people would shout and walk around the room. Don't do that because we have people not from that persuasion and you're going to freak them out, right? And they're going to want us to tackle you. And so, um, so don't do that right now. But, but I want to tell you something because too many times people interpret this, especially if, if they're more of that, that genre. Uh, and what I mean by that, if they're tongue talkers, right? 
And, and listen, nothing against that. Paul said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. That might, probably is why Paul was so successful. I have a prayer language. I pray in the spirit all the time. I pray in the spirit for you. Um, I'm not dogmatic about it. You don't have to be saved. I mean, that doesn't make you saved. It doesn't make me saved. What makes us saved is the blood of Jesus. But at the same time, um, if nothing else, the Bible says when I pray in tongues, it builds me up. I don't know about you. I need to be built up a lot. And so now if, if you're like, I don't believe in that, it's okay. You can still come to church here. We're not about to get anointing oil and snakes out and slap people. It's not what we're going to do today. All right. So you're safe. But here's what I want to say. Paul says, I pray in a different place. He says, I pray with understanding and I pray with the spirit. This is pray in the spirit. Tongues is actually praying with the spirit. He becomes the Holy Spirit becomes your prayer partner. And he makes intercession for you with sounds you don't understand. That's what Paul said. And I know if you're here like, I don't believe it. It's okay. Don't, don't freak out, okay? No one's getting snakes and prayer cloths and all that out right now, all right? But I think you got to understand it's in the Bible. You got to do something with it. it. It is there. Okay, so, but this he says, he's praying in the Spirit. Now think about this. We're talking about taking on principalities and powers and rulers that are in a heavenly realm. We could say it this way, a spiritual realm. And then he says, prayer is how you access that realm. You see what I'm saying? Like to win. See, we don't win by fighting with abortionists. They're prisoners of war. You never win a battle by shooting the enemy's prisoners of war. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Are, are you with me? And so how do we win? Well, I don't win in my marriage with my words. I win in my marriage on my knees. Why? Because I've got to win the battle in the heavenlies because there are spirits that are working against my marriage. There are spirits that are working against the church. There are spirits that are working against me. We have principality. I'll show you this in just a minute. A principality is a regional spirit. It's a spirit over a territory. That's what a principality is, right? We have municipalities, principalities, right? So a principality is a spirit over a region. I'll show you this in just a minute in scripture. And, but here's what you need to know. When we started the church, you know what I knew was the major, to me, the major principality over Longview? A religious spirit. Another way to say it is religious pride. When we started the church, I had a person tell me one time, I'd love to come to your church, but I can't go to church in a motel. I said, thank you, because we're trying to keep you out. <laughs> Not really you, but that spirit that you've got right there, so you'd have to get rid of that to come to our church. And so for 14, God gave us a strategy. I didn't understand at the time. For 14 weeks, I preached on the grace of God. I preached so hard on the grace of God that other pastors in this city preached against me by name. And I said, well, I found the demons. <laughs> right? That's why we'll always preach grace. You'll never be saved by what you do. You're saved only by the blood of Jesus. Your behavior can't save you and your behavior can't sentence you. Did you hear what I said? Your behavior can't save you and your behavior can't sentence you. Jesus' blood has sentenced you to life without parole with God. That's what you got because of what he did. 
Look at Daniel chapter 10. I love this. Daniel chapter 10, uh, verse 12. That, this is one of those, you got to do something with it. Daniel's been praying and fasting for 21 days. All right? And then on the 21st day, and if God doesn't answer, we quit after one. <laughs> Anyways, on the 21st day, it's because we have microwaves. It's like, you got to be able to get your hot pocket in one minute. Anyways, Jesus loves you. Anyway, so do I. <laughs> but, he, but after 21 days of praying, on the 21st day, an angel, everybody say angel. angel. It was actually Gabriel, same angel that appears to Mary to announce the birth of Christ. An angel appears to him and says, then he said to me, this is Gabriel, the angel, fear not, Daniel, from, from the first day. Let me tell you something that might help you. You may not have your answer, but your words were heard on the first day. On the first day, you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself. What does prayer do? Humbles me. Right? It keeps my armor on. From the first day, you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God. Your words have been heard. Man, that's a good word. That's for somebody. You've been wondering if God heard you. He heard you. There's just a war over what you're asking for. That's a good word. It's a good word. That's what's happening here. Watch this. Your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. <laughs> Think about it. God sent an angel because Daniel prayed. You think God loves Daniel more than you? You need some help? Pray. He'll send an angel. Because of your words. The prince, now look at this. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Now, let me ask you a question. Is this an angel talking? Yeah. So do you think he's talking about the, the human prince of Persia? That wouldn't make sense, would it? No. He's talking about a principality over the kingdom of Persia. He said, the prince, of king, uh, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, that's an archangel, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was left alone there with the kings. Do you see that? How many kings do you think Persia had? It's not talking about human people. This is talking about the spiritual powers of wickedness in dark realms, in heavenly realms. Are you seeing me? I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. Daniel was praying and fasting for 70 years. For 70 years, God's people were going to be in bondage to the Babylonians. Daniel's in bondage to the Babylonians. And he's, he's broken over the, the shape or the condition of, of God's people. And he's, he's mourning and fasting and praying. And he says, God, I need to understand what's going on. And God says, I'll send an angel. But then the angel says, I set out the first day. But there's a war between your answer and you. My God, that's good. That's going to help you. That's why you never stop praying. How did Paul say? Pray persistently. Persevere in prayer. Why? Because there's a war between your answer and you. And so where do we pray? Well, where was all this taking place? What happened to Daniel? Why were his, why were his words heard? Because he prayed in the Spirit. Prayer gives you the power to leave earth. Prayer is not bound to this realm. Um, 
Can, can I help you with something? Now, Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Hebrews, three different times, says that after Jesus purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So where is Jesus at? He's seated, right? Is he seated at the right hand of God? Right? By the way, do you know the only thing the New Testament says that Jesus has done since he sat down? Pray for you. He sits at the right hand of God making intercession for you. Now, if Jesus thinks the only thing you should do once you sit down is pray, you think Jesus is going to waste his time? All right, now let me ask you another question. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Where are you seated? Ephesians 2, verse 6. It says, and God raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in heavenly places. What kind of places? Heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let me, let me try to break this down. Now, Paul says, stand. But before, there's three postures in Ephesians, by the way. He says, sit, walk, stand. Um, but you gotta, you gotta figure out where these things happen. Ephesians 2, he says, we are seated. Past tense verb. Ephesians 6, he says, now stand. Now that can be confusing if you don't understand that we're the only part of God's creation that is actually in both realms at the same time. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And we are standing on the earth against the strategies of the enemy. There is no other part of creation. Listen, God has limited him to the heavenlies. He's only in the heavenlies. Obviously, by his spirit, he's in us. But that's all spirit. We're spiritual and we're physical. Why does he say, your kingdom come, your will be done? And why does he say, let, let your will be done on earth. Let your kingdom come to earth. Why is that what we're supposed to pray? Because we're the only people occupying, occupying both places. The only way for heaven to come to earth is through the people who are standing on earth and seated in heaven. Now, I called, I called this message, Pray in Your Seat. Because you've got to learn the difference that effective prayer is about your seating position. When I pray from earth, my prayers are usually based in fear, anxiety, worry, stress. But when I pray from heaven, my prayers are based in peace, joy, love, power, a sound mind, the strength of God, right? And so here's what Paul says. The only way to be effective in your stand on earth is to understand you're seated in heaven. And the only way to win on earth is to pray from your seat. I think it was D.O. Moody that said, I, I've never seen a man receive anything from God who prayed while on the earth. Because prayer happens in the spirit. 
Prayer is not rhetoric. It's not tradition. Prayer is why by the Spirit of God in me, I take my place seated at the right hand of God in Christ. And I pray from his will, from his revelation, from the mind of Christ, from the nature of God. You know, this is all things we have, New Testament reality. We've been made divine, are partakers of his divine nature. We have the mind of Christ. We know the will of God, or we can know the will of God according to the New Testament. There's no reason to pray earthly prayers because we're seated in heaven. Paul's saying the way that you win is you pray from your seat. Uh, let me... Let me show you this. Can, can I tell you something? Does, does the Bible say that we will rule and reign with Christ forever? Okay. Prayer is how you learn to rule and reign. Because we're not going to get a new seat. Prayer. Do, do you know why we have sitting presidents? It's the seat of authority. Do you know why a king sits on a throne? It's the seat of authority. Do you know what Paul's saying? You have authority over the earth. That's why you don't wrestle with people. You don't have authority over people, but you have authority over the spirits that are messing with the people. So you sit. You have to pray from your... You have to pray from your, I have to pray from the authority that I have in Christ. I have to pray from the position that I have in Christ. I have to pray from the possessions that I have in Christ. I have to pray from the power that I have in Christ. I have to pray from the responsibility that I have in Christ. I have to war. The way I war is pray from my seat. That's why Jesus says in, in Mark 16, a lot of versions says, Whatever's, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That's actually not correct. I'm sorry if it's in your Bible. If you read it in the original language, it says that we have authority that whatever is bound in heaven can be bound on earth. Whatever is loosed in heaven can be loosed on earth. Now, how can we do that? Because we're seated in heaven standing on the earth. Right? How did Jesus do this? The Father and I are one, but yet Jesus is standing on the earth. See, he just modeled what we're supposed to live now. So when Jesus encounters a blind man, he, he is sitting at the right hand of God or he's sitting with God. He's one with God and he's standing on the earth. So he encounters a blind man. He just looks at dad and dad's healing the blind man. So he says, hey, be healed. He didn't heal him from earth. He healed him from heaven. I'm just letting you take it in. Do you see what I'm saying? So now when, when there's a problem in my marriage, I don't say, oh my God, I don't want him to leave. God, you just, no, I sit down. I look to dad because I'm seated with Christ at his right hand. So dad's just to my left. What are you doing in my marriage? Okay, I'm going to pray that. Do you know when I go into my prayer time, I don't pray. I never take a list with me. Do you know why? Because a list can become earthly rhetoric. And I've got to pray from my seat. Most of the time, my most powerful prayer times are when I prayed for things I had no idea I was going to pray for. 
because the way I start prayer is I always worship, right? That's the first warfare. I always worship. And then I take my seat. I say, Dad, what are we worried about today? Not what are we worried about, but Dad, what are we doing today in the earth? Dad, today, what are you doing in my marriage? What are you doing in my son's life? What are you doing with my, my daughter? <clears throat> what are you doing in our church right now? Why? Because I have authority in both realms. You've got you've to pray from your seat. Do you hear me? I got to stop, but we could, I stay all day, but then the other service is going to get upset. <laughs> Do y'all hear that? Yes. Here's what Paul's saying. Stand in the strength of God. Why? Because we're in a spiritual battle. But we have provision for success. We have the armor to stand in. But prayer is what makes the armor work. Now, the way you stand on earth is you pray from your seat. Amen. Can you give God a praise? A good word.